to get into Formula One and my break came with McLaren, which happened to be one of the top teams, you know. So I was very fortunate to spend 10 years at McLaren as a mechanic and engineer uh, into team management as well and worked with some amazing people, you know. I've got a list of drivers that I was happy, I was lucky, I was lucky to be there through a fortunate period where we were successful. So it was Mika Hakkinen, David Coulthard, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, who I worked with for a long time, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso. So it's an amazing list of drivers, but even beyond the drivers, the people at the team were also incredible. So. A couple of weeks ago, I came to your room, I remember, mm. and you were reading an article and you weren't getting a lot of pop-up ads. Mm. How? It's called NordVPN. Been using it for a while now. Okay. Backtrack. Yep. Why do you use a VPN? I mean, for quite a few reasons. Number one, it protects all my information while I'm surfing the web from third-party cookies and you never know, unknown people. Mm -hmm. Then and the second thing is when you are traveling or whether even you're just out in a coffee shop mm -hmm. and you're on an open Wi-Fi network, all your data can be stolen if it's not encrypted and a hidden IP address. Mm -hmm. So those are two main reasons. And when I travel, I love watching shows. Oh. So I have to turn on that VPN and watch my favorite shows. I love that. I mean, I know you're a big Marvel fan. Huge. So those shows help. And did you know, by the way, yeah. with NordVPN in particular, there's some very exclusive benefits that you mm. don't get with other providers, whether 5,800 wow. servers that NordVPN has, the ability to service over 60 countries around the world, yep. and reliable encryption. Whoa. The encryption software that NordVPN uses is used by governments, national agencies around the Jeez. world. Wow. Think about that now in the hands <laughs> of consumers. That's exactly. pretty powerful. Yep. Get an exclusive NordVPN deal using our link below at nordvpn.com slash track limits. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Track Limits podcast presented by Formula Addict. I'm your host, Swish. I'm with my co-host, Henny. Today, we have a great guest. We're in Bister. Bister? Oh, you got I think it. I pronounced Bister, it right. Yeah. Bister? <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I got it. All right. Lovely. It's an incredible guest, a person who's been a former engineer at McLaren, an individual who's had a successful TV career, written an autobiography, and is also the voice of the engineer in F1 2022. <laughs> welcome, Mark Priestley. Yeah, welcome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming all the way to Bychester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love it, love it. No, thanks for having us. I think, you know, you're so busy right now. Obviously, you know, you're on shoot right now. Tell us a little bit. Is it pretty hectic this yeah, time of the year? Yeah, it's crazy busy but you know all in a good way i mean I, i'm very fortunate i love what i do today i've been you know racing a car around a racetrack all day for fun and someone's been paying Epic. me to do it Can't you know complain. it's incredible Epic. yeah i'm never gonna take that for granted so yeah it's good so in the next kind of 40 50 minutes i really want to unpack parts of your life you know we break up our entire podcast into q1 where we talk about things related to racing q2 very much diving into you as a professional and then Q3, the rapid fire round. We get spicy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like pressure. Yeah. Incredible. You ready to get into Q1? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Perfect. First question, you know, in about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, tell us about some of the core accomplishments you're proud of as a person. Uh, this is always hard because I hate talking about myself. Like that. <laughs> but uh, in, in, I guess most people would know what I've done from a motorsport perspective, which is, I guess, the highlight of my career is working at McLaren. It was always a dream for me to get into Formula One and my break came with McLaren, which happened to be one of the top teams, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate to spend 10 years at McLaren as a mechanic and engineer uh, into team management as well and worked with some amazing people, you know. I've got a list of drivers that I was happy, I was lucky, I was lucky to be there through a fortunate period where we were successful. Mm -hmm. So it was Mika Hakkinen, David Coulthard, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, who I worked with for a long time, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso. Mm -hmm. 
So it's an amazing list of drivers, but even beyond the drivers, the people at the team were also incredible. So I've been very, very fortunate. So yeah, McLaren in Formula One is my main thing. Mm -hmm. And then from that, and it's all linked to that, I've had this TV career that you talked about and, and the various other things, but it all stemmed from that stint in Formula One. Yeah, and what does your day-to-day -day look like right now? Today, I spend most of my time filming a, a TV show, a car-based TV show called Wheeler Dealers on Discovery Channel. That takes up a lot of my time. And the other half of my time, I guess, is spent talking about the things I've learned in Formula One, both on my own podcast and also to a corporate audience. So I spend a lot of time traveling the world, seeing corporations and big companies and teaching them some of the lessons that I've learned about how to be better in, in teams, how to work in teams, how to look for this marginal gains that Formula One is sort of famous for, attention to detail and, and all of the little sort of nuanced lessons that I've picked up over 10 years at McLaren that can apply to other people and businesses to mm -hmm. help them succeed, I guess. Yeah. And then during your time in McLaren, how long were you there for? 10 years. 10 years, you know, I'm guessing your role evolved. You know, like yeah. Tell us a little bit about what your role entailed at the beginning, what it kind of evolved into. Yeah, so my role evolved a bit as Formula One evolved. So back when I first started, uh, there were things called test teams. So it was a dedicated test team, mm -hmm. right? So every team had their own test team or the big teams at least. And I got my break in that. So I became a, what they called a number two mechanic in the test team. Never went to races for the first year. <laughs> it was just going to racetrack to racetrack, but never the actual race events. Mm -hmm. And it was, we had our own mechanics, our own engineers, our own cars, trucks, the whole garage set up. It was all identical to the race team, but we went there ahead of the races to pound round and round, doing lap after lap with our own drivers sometimes as well, just to learn about the car and to test things and try components and basically trying to break the car and trying to make it as fast as possible mm -hmm. so that when they did get to the, the race event, you know, all those things were all sorted out in advance. Yeah, I and mean, what does it feel like to be part of a pit crew? I know we watch it on TV when it's race weekends, but what does that energy feel like when you were oh, part of it? It's amazing. It is amazing. And, and, you know, the next stage after what I just talked about there, the test team was eventually got moved onto the race team. And with that comes the responsibility of being on the pit crew. Mm. And that really was my dream since I was a kid. You know, that's why I wanted to be in Formula One. It wasn't as many kids were to be a driver. You know, I, I kind of wanted that probably when I was really small, but very quickly realized that I wasn't, I didn't have that ability. As soon as you go karting with a real <laughs> racing driver, you realize yeah, no matter how good you think you are, you're yeah. not that good. Mm -hmm. um, so my dream was to be part of a pit stop crew, you know, and, uh, and then I got that opportunity. And the only way I can describe it, so it's actually a really difficult thing to describe, you know, because it's, there's so many emotions and senses that are just off the scale. And, it, you know, the whole thing lasts for two seconds. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but in that moment, you've got the incredible adrenaline rush. Back then, the noise was, you know, those V10s were just mind-blowing. They would I rattle you to bits. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just the noise. It was the feeling of shaking your bones. So you'd have all of that. You'd have the, um, the heat coming off the brakes, man. It was just... Sometimes, even though you've got a fire suit on, it would still be burning you. You're that close, and the mm. exhaust is red hot. Everything's glowing. Sometimes the brakes are on fire. You take the wheel off, and there's flames. Jeez. You don't have to worry about that. You bung the wheel back on. And, of course, on top of all of those things, you've got the pressure of knowing that your race is dependent on yep. what you do in those few seconds. And there are hundreds of millions of people watching you do it, <laughs> you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. that also are fans of your team and your driver and will be heartbroken if you mess it up. Oh, yeah. yep. <laughs> so that pressure, together with all of those senses and emotions, I mean, it's, uh, that's the best way I can describe it, but it's still to this day, the thing I miss most about, about being part of the team. Yeah, and I bet it, like when you see people, 
you know, fans typically think the drivers at the end of the day, what really matters in terms of a race victory, but it isn't, right? It's a really a team sport at the end of the day. 100%. And, you know, that's what my sort of second career that I just touched on there, that's what it's all been built on because you, you know, you flick the telly on a Sunday and you watch the race and all the focus is, of course, on the driver. You know, mm -hmm. they're the guys that get interviewed. They're the guys that are on the top step of the podium when they win. But there's no way they can do that without the thousands of other people that are working away in all the factories, you know, back at base and in the garages at the track itself. Mm -hmm. And so that was really what my biggest eye-opening moment was, you know, when over those 10 years, or the biggest thing that I learned and sunk in was that it's about everybody involved and everybody from the, the, the guy that's designing the car to the guy driving the car to the guy who puts it together, the guy in the R&D department who's never seen a racetrack in his life because yeah. he only ever works in that part of the building. They're all crucial. Every one of them is crucial. And... You know, it's an easy thing to sort of say, well, the driver's the most important. It depends which way you look at it, because mm -hmm. if that guy in R&D doesn't do his job, the car doesn't end up being as good as it should be, and the driver doesn't get the chance to win. So I firmly believe that everyone's as important as each other. Yep. And every job has to be given the same level of importance, because if you fail at any one of them, the whole stack of cards comes awesome. tumbling down, you know? Yep. And that's what I now go, and I believe that's the same in life. I believe that's the same in, you know, every sort of thing we do, whether it's business to personal accomplishments. Mm -hmm. You've got to trust the people around you. You've got to be good at every part of it, you know? So it's like a metaphor for life, yep. I guess. And that was the biggest thing I learned. Incredible. And what was that transition like from going to being a mechanic to then managing a Formula 2 team? Like, what are the differences in terms of that kind of role and your responsibilities overall? Yeah, so during the 10 years at McLaren, I moved from being this number two mechanic on the test team to getting onto the race team. And then over, year, over the years in, inside the organization, I moved up to managing people within the Formula One team as well. Hmm. And then when I left Formula One after that 10-year spell, I then took on this role of managing a, a Formula Two team. And it wasn't a Formula Two team like now. This was the old Formula Two where it was a, a kind of centrally run thing. So I was running the team that ran the championship. Hmm. So there was sort of... I was managing kind of 40 to 50 people. Wow. Um, so big change in that sense, but it was still motorsport. And, and like I just touched on there, it's just people. Yep. And it's just about man you know transferring that exact same philosophy. And those 50 people, you had to get them to buy into the things that I've learned from Formula One, where everything matters, details matter. You know, it's, it's about doing the that every single thing you do to the very best ability you can with what you have around you. And that I think applies to anything, like I said. So I was able over the, the course of my time in the Formula 2 operation to transfer a lot of those things. And I firmly believe as a result of that, you know, the whole team got better, the operation got better. And hopefully a lot of those people went away with similar learnings that I came out of Formula 1 with. Wow. And this might be a hot take, but who was your favorite driver that you've ever worked with? Um, well, my personal favorite, yeah. you see, one of the biggest questions I always get asked is who's the best Formula One yeah. driver of all time? Yeah. And that's an impossible one. And I can only ever judge it on who I've worked with because that's the only way, you know, when people judge from the outside and they say, this guy was the best ever, Schumacher, Senna, whoever it might be, you can't judge that just from results. I know that's how Formula One works and it's a very results driven industry, of course, mm -hmm. but there's so much more to any one of those drivers. So my take on this is always i'll judge it how on what i saw so yes the results matter but there's a, a lot more behind the scenes that most people don't get to see and i got that opportunity with a lot of great drivers kimi raikkonen was i mean almost certainly the fastest driver over a single lap that i've ever worked with in his prime you know around the mid 2000s with us and he often dragged results out of a car that 
I knew didn't really deserve to be <laughs> that quick. Yeah, you know, right. he was that good. Yeah. But he wasn't the most complete Formula One driver. And I think if you look at that, and that's probably how I would have to judge this, I'd look at Lewis and Fernando. Mm -hmm. And actually, at the time I worked with them both, very difficult to split them. Mm. And I say that because they looked at every aspect of, of their role and tried to maximize it. And Kimi probably didn't do that. I think he, he'd accept he didn't do that as well. He loved the bit in the car, yeah. <laughs> loved racing, almost hated everything else. Yeah. Uh, and he had enough talent and ability to just do that, get in the car and deliver some incredible results, you know, became a world champion. Mm -hmm. um, but Lewis and Fernando, multiple world champions, and that's no surprise to me because they never stopped looking for an advantage in, and that's looking through data until late into the night, building the team around them. Uh, and I think the very best drivers do that. And that, again, and I don't want to keep saying this all the way through, but that is the same philosophy yeah. for life. If you want to succeed in business, mm -hmm. you can't just look at the, the sort of job description on your business card or whatever and maximize that. But you've got to think about what else can you use to your advantage? How can you make the people around you better and stronger? How can you build leaders in your team that are going to support you and help you? And it's all of those things utilizing data, utilizing the sort of science or materials or whatever you might have at your disposal, how do you maximize everything? And I think that's what Lewis and Fernando both did very well. Yeah, and, and you also turned over from managing a team to becoming a presenter for Formula E and Formula One. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was amazing, and, and I'll tell you why it was amazing, because I left when I left the engineering side, the mechanical side of Formula One, I didn't really have a major plan. You know, I'd done it for 10 years, there's a huge amount of, of travel, of, of course, involved in that, a huge amount of sacrifice to your personal life. I had young children, and I just couldn't be on the road that much. Formula One was, their calendar was getting longer and longer. It meant mm -hmm. more time away. And so I took the decision after we won the championship with Lewis, and that felt like the perfect moment. If you were ever going to step away, yeah. that's the time. <laughs> so I took the decision to step away, but didn't really have a major plan. And it was only... So first, I started writing on my own kind of blog, just a few sort of insights from my time in the sport. And it was the producers of the Radio 5, BBC Radio 5 broadcast on, around Formula One yep. that picked up on some of my writing and asked if I wanted to go along and try and be a pit lane reporter. Mm. And I thought, well, I'd never thought of this before, but I thought, you know, I'll give it a go. Why not? I'm, I'm kind of often like that. I'll just say yes <laughs> and then figure it out later. So anyway, I went along to the British Grand Prix with the BBC, not knowing what to expect. And they just threw me in with a sort of microphone and a recording pack and said, off you go into the paddock and <laughs> see what you can see you can talk to. You know, I obviously knew a lot of people, mm -hmm. so that was an advantage. And off I went. And, and you know, I met a load of people on that first day. It was, they were all terrible interviews, you know, yeah. so nervous, probably asked terrible questions. <laughs> like us, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Kep I got, you lore. <laughs> but I got to the end of that day at Silverstone and I, I remember phoning my wife saying, I've just discovered what my new career is. You know, I loved it that much. And it was a, a real eye-opener because I'd never planned it. I'd never thought of it. And actually, when I was on the other side of the, of the pit lane in the garages, I used to look at the media side and think, this is, they're a bit ridiculous. You yeah. know, they don't do any hard work. And it's, it's us that does the hard yeah, work. Yeah. And they just, we used to call them the cake eaters. The cake eaters. All they did, oh, yeah. we thought, was eat cake. Yeah. You know, it was eat cake and drink champagne. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then there I was... A cakey, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I loved it, you know, and, and what... I, oh, shit, I'm oh, so sorry. Is. That's so this unprofessional. No, no, Look totally at that. Oh, my goodness, that is terrible. Do you want to tell us who that yeah, is? Yeah, now you have to tell us who I can only apologise for that. Yeah, no, no, Years in the business and I still well, can't tell the phone. Don't, don't, worry. <laughs> don't, don't worry. edit it out, leave it in, it's fine. <laughs> um, 
so I got to the end of that and realized that what I had to offer that a lot of other people in the media side of Formula One didn't have, to the same level at least, was that inside perspective you know, of 10 years in the sport. And if you think about all the TV production and radio production around Formula One at the time, anyone who wasn't just an outright presenter, who was a guest on a show or a pundit or whatever, was a driver or an yeah. ex-driver, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I felt strongly that the sport only ever had the perspectives of the drivers, a little bit like what we were saying earlier, the stars of the show, but there was so much more to Formula One that I knew beyond that, that I was convinced that people at home would really benefit from learning. Right. Yep. And so I, w I made it my mission from that day to go ahead and try and make sure that, that I continued this. My phone's going again. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to turn it off. Don't You're worry. good. Um, so yeah, I made it my mission from that day forward to, to really pursue a career. Having had the career almost, la or the opportunity land on my lap, mm -hmm. from that day forward, I switched it to, to me chasing it and making sure that I would be able to continue in it because I've just loved it so much. And then for any aspiring cake eaters here, you know, <laughs> tell us like, how do you go about live broadcast? What do you think makes for a successful broadcasting career in motorsport? Definitely turn your phone off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think, look, I get a lot of people now because I run my own podcast and I get mm -hmm. a lot of people um, come to me and ask me that kind of question and mm. not just around Formula One, but generally. And I always say, you've got to have something that you're passionate to talk about. You've got to have something to say, mm -hmm. and it seems obvious, but you've got to have a reason to be doing it because if you've not got something to share, people are going to see through, it's not going to be authentic. Yep. You know, it's no point in just regurgitating what someone else has told you. You've got to have a passion, I believe, that you've got to, you want to share. So I, I had that. Uh, and then you've got to figure out a way that you want to tell it in an interesting and inspiring way. I mean, if you think about it, you think about all the... YouTube videos you watch or the podcast you listen to, why do you listen to them? It's some of it is content, but a lot of it is how it's presented to you. Is it in short, you know, easy chunks that you, you can take in? Is it entertaining? Is it funny? Is it, you know, think about the way you want to hear that content being broadcast. And I guess my take on all of that was to, I had the thing that I was passionate about and I was really passionate about why I wanted to share it because I believed that it was a side of the sport that wasn't being covered. Mm. And then the way I decided to do it myself was just to, to try and honestly be myself as best possible mm. because I believe that passion shows through. It, it speaks for itself almost. I didn't have to try and pretend to be somebody I wasn't or I didn't have to come up with it sort of, you know, extra long, clever words to say it. I just wanted to get the passion out there. And I think that's, I hope that's part of what has helped me to become successful in that field. Yeah. And do you, do you think Formula One is taking the right steps in the future, whether it's their carbon mission projects that they're trying to bring in, new initiatives? What is your perspective on that? Yeah, it's a really interesting time, I think, if you're a Formula One fan or if you're even working or involved in the sport, because it is changing. And I mean, if you go back... I don't know, 10 years to the, the end of the Bernie Eccleston era, whenever it was, you know, you looked at it then and it was huge, right? It had hundreds of millions of fans all around the world. It would be easy. And I think I looked at it back then thinking, how on earth can this grow any bigger? Yeah. This is massive. <laughs> and then Liberty Media come along and they make all these decisions, which a lot of people in the beginning thought, well, why are they doing these yeah. things? Changing mm -hmm. the logo, the theme tune, you yep. know, you can't come along and do that. And but actually what they've done is, is proven to be successful, hasn't it? And they've tapped into this new marketplace of younger people, different areas of the world, tapping into new marketplaces. And the future, I still think, has loads of opportunity. 
they're obviously the American side of things is still getting bigger seemingly the drive to survive has been massive but what I'm really excited about is the the technical side because of course that's where I started in all this how that evolves and we're going to these sort of sustainable fuels as a, a technology and what I'm always excited about with Formula One is when you put any technology into the hands of the Formula One engineers and say right off you go mm. It just accelerates that development yep, at such a rapid pace, way quicker than the rest of the world can do it. Mm-hmm. And so I firmly believe that we're going to go down a route with this fuel thing. And it could well not just revolutionize F1, but it could revolutionize the world. Yep. And what's most interesting about that is Formula One, you know, this environmental sustainability challenge could be like an existential challenge for Formula One. It could be a threat, like it could bring it down. Mm. We race gas guzzling cars all over the planet. (laughs) We're flying thousands of people all over the place with equipment as well. And you could look at that and say, there's no way you can carry on doing that because at some point the environmentalists are going to just shut you down. (laughs) But Formula One have taken what could be their biggest threat and potentially turned it into one of their biggest opportunities. And I love that. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. Incredible. That's Q1. Yeah. Verdict, Teddy? That was a purple. Purple? Purple. All right. Yeah. Right away. Exactly. Right away. Start strong. Q2. <laughs> yeah, go you for happy it. about that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Let's do it. All right. Well, Q2's coming up with Mark Priestley. Stay tuned. We want to give a big shout out to Waterboy for sponsoring this podcast. Swish, why don't you tell us more about Waterboy? Yeah, Waterboy is pretty cool. Yeah. We found out about this brand pretty recently, but mm-hmm. we've been using it quite actively uh, comes in multiple flavors. It's a hydration recovery mix for you. What does nice. that even mean, though? Yeah. It means if you are the type of person to go a little bit too hard, perhaps, on Friday and Saturday. We had moments like that. We have moments. But also with the Christmas holidays coming around, I know a lot of you might be looking to party. You might be looking to hang out with family, get a little bit tipsy. This is the best recovery for you. It's not, again, 100% cure, but it's pretty damn close to one. And the coolest part, I think, about Waterboy is that zero sugar, wow, which is pretty great. Yep. A lot of drinks out there, they stack up a bunch of sugar, of which makes you crash even harder. <laughs> yeah. But thankfully not with Waterboy. There's three times more electrolytes than liquid IV in Waterboy. Wow. And nine times more electrolytes than Gatorade in Waterboy as well. I don't well. Even like Gatorade. I, I don't like Gatorade either, but... It's incredible to see that with Waterboy, it's very easy. You take the mix, put it into water, stir it up, drink it. And honestly, again, you're not guaranteed to feel normal right away. But whenever I've taken it, I felt a lot better than when I haven't taken it before. So no hangovers. No hangovers, which is pretty great. And so you can go back to literally just being yourself the next morning. And you don't need to kind of face those Sunday scaries anymore. Hundreds of thousands of people already trust Waterboy as their hangover cure. It's time to stop dealing with that anxiety alone. For a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off discount with our link at waterboy.com slash T-Limits. That's 15% off at waterboy.com slash T-Limits. It's time to ho-ho-ho hydrate this holiday season. Welcome back to the Track Limits Podcast. We're here with Mark Priestley. Mark, we're not going to get into Q2. And in Q2, we want to dive a little bit deeper into you as a professional. So walk us back. You know, you're growing up. Where do you go to college, university? You know, what do you study? Was Formula One even on your mind as a career path? So initially not. And I'll go back even before education because I grew up in a place uh, in Kent in the UK right next to where the circuit Brands Hatch is. Do you know Brands? No. So Brands Hatch is Silverstone's 
the biggest circuit. Yep. Brands Hatch is the other one. Uh, and okay. in the in the 90s, eight, I think 80s and 90s, I'm not sure. Back then, when I was a kid, they used to alternate the British Grand Prix between Silverstone and yeah. Brands oh. Hatch. So uh, effectively, I was this kid in a tiny little sleepy village in Kent. And then Formula One came to my village. Mm. And, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people descended on us. It was, the cars parked down every bit of road. <laughs> You know, and it was amazing. And of course, back then, the sound of Formula One cars, you oh, could yeah. hear for miles. <laughs> so I had no choice yeah. but to sit up and take notice of Formula One rather than having to go search for it. So that's probably where the first little spark of interest came. And because I was so close, you know, one of my friend's houses, the end of his garden backed onto the, the edge of the boundary of the Brands Hatch circuit. So mm. occasionally we used to sneak under his fence, yeah. <laughs> get into the racetrack. <laughs> And not on a Grand Prix weekend, but, yep. you know, on a test day. And we'd get in there and we'd be, in, you know, almost at the edge of the circuit, <laughs> hiding behind tyre barriers, but watching these cars this close to us, you know, and hearing the noise. And so I was absolutely captivated. Teams should have paid you to be like a yeah. photographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got thrown out. I remember one day oh. I was in there watching, doing exactly that. And I'd, give, I'd ridden on my bike to my mate's house climbed under his fence we were watching the cars go around and obviously we got spotted oh no they red flagged the session and sent a recovery no. truck out to come and pick us up <laughs> and they stuck us in the back of this truck there were three of us and then took us all the way to the main entrance and just chucked us out <laughs> and the worst thing was my bike was still at my mate's house no. which is like the other side of the village so we had to walk all the way around to get back to the bikes um but that's where the interest mm -hmm. came from and then um I kind of parked it. I didn't think of it as a career for many years after that. And I went down a route of actually studying A-levels in things like art and graphic design. And uh, and it was halfway through that, I had this sort of epiphany. I can't remember where it came from, but I sort of thought about this idea that, like, why can't I work in this industry? Because I was still obsessed with Formula One. Mm. Why can't I do it, you know? Mm. And I actually thought about it more and more, and I realized there was an engineering course at the same college that I was at studying uh, art and graphic design. And I actually went home one night and I spoke to my parents. I sat them both down and uh, had this really nervous moment where I had to talk to my dad and say, I'm thinking of ditching my A-levels yeah. and completely switching. And, and you know, he's, I was imagining his reaction would be disastrous. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, you know, you could see how, how passionate I was about it. And, uh, and he said, yeah, look, go for it. So I switched courses. And from that day forward, everything, and I mean everything, was focused on getting to Formula One. And from that day... I started sort of doing bits of free work experience, just offering to help make tea and sweep floors and do all of those old school apprenticeship type things just at weekends and school and, uh, you know, holidays. And uh, but in the meantime, I was writing letters to every single Formula One team. And at that point, I had no experience. There was no way a Formula One team was going to give me any job, but I was still writing. And every kind of month I'd get the 10 letters back, rejection letters from each Formula One team. I've still got them all, got a stack of them, you know, this <laughs> week home. And, uh, and they'd all come back saying, you know, you haven't got the right experience or whatever. And so I'd go away over time, over the next couple of years, trying to get that experience. And I'd offer my services to different teams in Formula Ford and various other things until eventually I'd go back and they'd run out of excuses to say, because mm. I had the experience now. And I worked my way up through the sort of motorsport categories and got to Formula 3 and then Formula 3000, which was the next level down from Formula 1. And, uh, and after just years and years of writing these letters, McLaren wrote back and just said, you know, do you want to come in? I think I pissed them off so much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Eventually they were like, oh, for God's sake. We yeah. can't take more letters. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> running out of paper, you know. Yeah. Uh, so they said, do you want to come in for an interview? Hmm. And, uh, and yeah 
probably the best day of my life. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. Yeah, and, and that's amazing. And now that you are a presenter for Wheeler Dealer, I love that name. By yeah, the way. Yeah, it's yeah. such a sick TV show name. <laughs> How did that opportunity come to, for you? And then the next question would be, uh, what's it like being on that show? Uh, well, it is amazing. That's the first thing because all of this stuff that we've talked about, although Wheeler Dealers isn't around motorsport, it's cars more generally cars. Of course, all of that motorsport stuff is still anchored at cars. You know, it's mm. the cars and the technology that I loved most of all. Um, so it's amazing. So the opportunity came around because I there's a couple of steps before that, but off the back of doing my presenting for Formula One and Formula E, the reporting stuff. I got an opportunity with Discovery Channel who approached me to, they had this idea for a show. It was called Driving Wild and uh, it was probably the best gig of my life. Yeah. <laughs> the show was, um, so you can imagine, I said yes before they'd even finished the yeah. sentence, right? The show was, the we want to take you all around the world, some <laughs> of the most amazing places. And in these incredible places, we're going to drop you into this sort of weird motorsport culture and then you're going to build a team from the local community. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to build a car or a vehicle to take part yeah. in an event, and then you're going to drive the vehicle in the event. Cool. So we went to Sweden to do rallying, right. built a rally car and rally team. Yeah. We went to Thailand to do long-tail boat racing, Wow. which is these tiny little boats, yeah. not much bigger than an ironing board with a V8 engine on the back. Oh, Ridiculous yeah. things. Yeah. We went to South Africa and did car spinning, which is sort of donuts and things in an oh. arena to music. Uh, we went to Cuba to do drag racing with the old 1950s cars. <laughs> so you can see it's amazing, right? It's an incredible yeah. opportunity. So that was all about motorsport, but it was for Discovery Channel. Mm. And then after that, Discovery, you know, that went really well. Discovery then approached me after that to start working on this Wheeler Dealers project. Oh. Um, and although it wasn't motorsport, it is cars, which I love. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing it now for, I think, nearly three years. And, and I love it. And it's it's probably... I mean, you've got Top Gear and you've got Wheeler Dealers as the two biggest car shows in the world. Mm. I mean, it goes to 200 million people mm. plus around the world, which is an insane Incredible. number of people. Uh, and so I'm just truly grateful to have that opportunity to be able to do these things, which, and have, you know, like I said, I was racing a car around a track today for yeah. the show and I'm getting paid to do that. And I will, as I said earlier, I'll never take that for granted. That's sort of a pinch me moment every time yeah. i get to do it and know? i think my favorite episode is the one where you guys did the red porsche in that barn oh yeah yeah that that was amazing one of my favorite cars we've done on the show yeah. i really wanted to buy that car at the end of it yeah. but they, <laughs> they wouldn't let me it's not part of the signing contract <laughs> or anything like, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's been it's been a like a, an unbelievable journey mm -hmm. that part of it you know i said all this the bit of getting to formula one was utterly planned yep you know, I was laser focused on it and I had a structure and a plan to get there. And mm. I worked with that plan until eventually that dream came true. But the second part of all this career, there was no plan. Yep. And I still not got a plan. And it's just kind of, it's all stemmed from, you know, essentially what I tell kids that I speak to and students, it was the hard work in the beginning of getting to Formula One, yep. which I'm still benefiting from now. Yeah. Because without that part of my career none of this stuff would be happening today mm. so and that was a lot of hard work that was some serious effort and focus and dedication and all those things so it definitely wasn't easy but i'm now reaping the rewards i'm mm -hmm. still working hard and, and you know i'm putting a lot into this i will never stop doing that yep but it was you know it was 30 years ago when i made that decision and and made that focused attempt to get to formula one which was the foundation for all of this yep
And we love the F1 2022 game. Uh-huh. You know, we both sim <laughs> race at home and we played a lot. Um, I also remember the previous games we had Jeff, you know, yeah. Rip Jeff, but Jeff was great. Um, <laughs> tell us how that opportunity even comes about. Because, like, you have a great voice, but, like, how do they, you know, reach out and yeah. say, Mark, we're going to have you be the voice of the have engineer? you started shouting back at me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, enough of that. You know, that's what I get on Twitter. times I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day on Twitter, that's what I get. Stop <laughs> telling me to stop for tires. <laughs> that or it's like, I just overtook someone and the, yeah, they're yeah. telling me, like, you didn't. I'm like, wait, <laughs> yeah, where yeah. are you from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know how I shout at myself yeah. when I play it, so yeah. I get it. Are, are you um, okay, mate? Turn the engine <laughs> off and, and whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that came about because uh, during lockdown, mm-hmm. uh, when we weren't traveling, uh, we weren't filming, I threw everything into my YouTube channel for mm. that, that period of time. So I was looking for people to interview and make videos with, and I found uh, the creative director of the game online, nice. sort of tracked him down and... and asked if I could make a video about the game because I've been playing it a lot and we did that and uh, we stayed in touch and over the next couple of years he then got in touch with me last year to say look we're looking to revamp the game completely and we want to get a really authentic we want someone who's actually worked in the sport to do the role and uh, again it was one of those things I I didn't need him to finish the sentence before I said yes (laughs) of course I want to do it you Uh know yeah Uh, so that's how it came about and then what I did was last year we recorded the the F122 game, mm-hmm. which was the full revamp. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did something like 30,000 lines oh. of VO in wow. a studio. I forget the number, but something like that because it was every line from, you know, it's like Lewis Hamilton's 0.1 second ahead. Lewis Hamilton's 0.2 seconds <laughs> ahead. Oh, oh my God. And every one of that. And then Lewis Hamilton's 0.1 second behind. Yeah. The whole, but for every driver and all the F2 drivers, Holy. and then it's all the other strategy stuff and honestly there is so much you would not believe right uh so it was a lot of sitting in a recording booth just monotonous reading these lines and that last year we didn't have time to sort of really revamp the script Mm. so it was pretty much the same script that we redid in my voice with a couple of changes Mm -hmm. this year we've actually just finished doing the 23 game and we've had much more of an opportunity to change it and put my stamp on it and hopefully make it as real as it can be Mm -hmm. so it's saying things that i know would you would say Yeah. yeah because I've been there. Um, and we've even done things like we switched it to a, a proper mecha- um, engineer's headset, right? Uh, an cool. F1 engineer's yep. headset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of having a proper studio mic mm-hmm. where the sound is really clean, it's now that authentic sound. Radio ah. kind of sound, yeah. Um, and I even asked them to play, not that you can hear it in the game, but they play the sound of an F1 car going around a circuit <laughs> into my ear so that I just, because I feel you just raise yeah. your voice a little bit and that's yeah. what you would be doing yeah. at the racetrack. Yeah. So although you'll never hear that at home, hopefully the sound, it's all these little details that I think will just add to that authentic experience from a game player's point of view. So excited. Oh, I am so excited. Anything else you can tell us <laughs> about the game? Yeah, so I can tell you, actually, there's a couple of um, little sort of Easter eggs. Because what okay. they can do is when you record lines, mm-hmm. they can then give that line a score as to how frequently it will turn up in the game. Mm. Right. So some of them you hear all the time. They're the ones that you scream at me right. about. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but there's others that are really rare. So like if you win the championship, mm. which doesn't happen very often, there's a couple of celebration lines, for example, mm. uh, end of season lines, when you cross the line for the last yeah. time at the end of the season. And, uh, and there is one which I did, which I thought was funny. I don't know yeah. if it'll ever show up in anyone's <laughs> game. It's going to be re- you know, reg- uh, registered quite low as, an, as a probability. Frequency. But uh, if you've come last 
in the season, oh, you know, no. a terrible season. <laughs> the line that was written was something like, you know, not to worry, you know, uh, it can only get better from here. Bring the car back to oh. the pits and, and I'll see you in the garage. That's a humble. So we did that one and we did a couple of others. But then I said, look, just open the mic yeah, and let yeah. me do another one. And so they opened the mic and I just said something along the lines <laughs> of, mate, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've not only let me down, you've let yourself down. Your family are probably never going to speak to you again. <laughs> oh just God. get the car back here and we'll go again. It's something, you know, something I'm going like to come like. dead last now just so <laughs> I can find out if that line is in there. there. Yeah. But there's a few of those dotted through the game, you know, that, that will crop up every now and again. So that's cool. been a lot of fun. Oh, made the countdown begin. I love it. <laughs> oh, June, right, or July? Uh, I don't know if we've got an exact date yeah. around there. Something yeah. around yeah. there. Yeah. Cool. Oh, man, that's amazing. And outside of that, you mentioned that you have a podcast show mm. and you're kind of writing a book, a yeah. second book. Can you talk to us about that? Give yeah. us a sneak peek. Do you know, I'm really excited about this. And, and I, I'm very lucky that I love all these things that I've talked about. I love yeah. them all. Yeah. Um, but the podcast is something that, again, started during lockdown because I had time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing the podcast. And basically what I do now in a lot of my time is talk about to the corporate world, like I said. So I go around the world talking to businesses about how they can improve sort of using an F1 mindset um, to get their team stronger and all these kind of things. And I quickly realized, having done that for a few years, and I spent a lot of my time doing this, but it is all corporate. Mm. I realized that the same messages kind of apply to everybody. And particularly people at home, and often dur- uh, during lockdown particularly, we all faced all these challenges on a personal level. Uh, you know, how do you motivate yourself? How do you achieve that thing that you really want to do but you keep putting off and it's all these things that I I know because we've studied it in Formula One and we during my years in, in McLaren I was quite at the forefront of us embracing this idea of sort of human performance mm. and that's not just the physical side of it it's the mental side it's uh, it's learning to work with others it's all this stuff that everything that we could do to improve the performance of the humans that make up the team like all of them mm we started to embrace and, and looked at it from a scientific perspective. So I have this wealth of knowledge and I've gone on to study that immensely since because I was fascinated by it. So the podcast is really translating those messages for, for anyone at home. So if you're a parent you know, and you're struggling with your kids, there are things that Formula One has taught me that I know can help in that situation. Yep. It, or it's helped me certainly and it may well help you. So it's this corporate message translated to just the individual and lots of things to help you overcome the challenges of of life Mm -hmm. whether it's financial emotional relationships it's kind of a self-help podcast but all centered around formula one so every message is somehow linked to formula one so it can be anything but it's you know i use pit stops as a great example of teamwork and dealing with you know working under pressure Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know everyone's facing all of those challenges in different ways all the time so that's the podcast and i still continue it now we're we're about six seasons in uh, and really enjoying it and uh and the book that i'm writing now which is still in early phase i'm only on chapter two um, but it's the kind of the book of the podcast. Mm. So it's the book of all of those messages, really, written and explored even further. So there's a lot of research I'm doing at the moment, really exploring the sort of modern take on a lot of these challenges and, and techniques to, to just, I guess, improve your life. If you want to improve your life, Formula One or thinking like a Formula One team would mm. about the challenges, I think can really help. 
you have a working title for that uh-huh. book? Well, the podcast is called Pit Lane Life Lessons. Yeah. Cool. So the working title for the book is that as well. Fantastic. Pit Lane Life yeah. Lessons. And then when it comes to, you know, being in a paddock and, and having that experience, you know, like you've had, what is some of like the most memorable or fun moments you've ever had at a race weekend? Oh, Can you tell us like one or two, preferably if they have not been, been told shared. before? Yeah. That'd be great. I yeah. mean, there's so many and, yeah. and I have told quite a lot of them. But I mean, the, the obvious ones are the big wins and the big successful moments on track because the, mm. there's so much that goes into that. And so winning the championship with Lewis and particularly the way it happened, if you remember, yeah. in yeah. 2008. Yeah. Brazil, right? Brazil, really oh, yeah, yeah. most Iconic. incredible finish. It was yeah. just, just amazing. To be on the right side of that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I fully appreciate the guys at Ferrari yep. were on the other side of that. Yeah. And that is a heartbreaking moment. Mm-hmm. And we experienced that the year before mm. in 2007, missing out by a point or so. So I've seen both sides of that. So the highs are really high and the lows are really low. Right. When you Because you're fully invested when you're in a Formula One team. It's not just a job. Yep. It's your whole life, you know. Uh, but actually, the really fun parts are the, are the people that I worked with, the team that you're part of, which is not just a, a team of colleagues. Mm-hmm. You spend your life with them. You travel the world to live with them for eight months of the year or, or beyond. So they become almost like your family. And so you have the same incredible moments that you all have with your families mm-hmm. and your friends because that's where they are. But we're having those moments in amazing places in the world and, and in these unusual situations. So I had a lot of fun with Kimmy, mm-hmm. grew very close to Kimmy yeah. over the years. I've worked with him for a long time. And I mean, a lot of the stories are documented, particularly in my first book, but um, I've had some amazing parties with Kimmy, yeah. as you can probably imagine. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, I remember one night in Australia uh, where we'd all been out together, but ended up back at Kimmy's hotel suite. Mm-hmm. And he had this incredible suite, the sort of penthouse suite in this amazing hotel. And there was me and a couple of my mates and him and a bunch of his mates who we all knew all ended up back in this hotel. And it must've been four in the morning. <laughs> and uh, some point around then, someone decided they would order, because breakfast was open, so let's order, you know, 10 fried breakfast or English <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> so by about 5 a.m., we're still going, we've been drinking all night, heavy partying this lady turns up at the door with a trolley with 10 full english breakfasts on right and (laughs) and pushes it in and there's all these idiots just (laughs) leaping around drunk and uh and anyway probably 30 seconds after she'd gone the first fried egg was taken off the the (laughs) the plate and thrown Thrown. and this almighty food fight just broke out and and i'm not kidding this i don't know how much this hotel room must have cost but it was trashed and there was food everywhere every one of those breakfasts ended up being (laughs) ammunition and i remember the last thing it must have been 6 a.m and i had to go to catch a flight home the last thing i remember is seeing kimmy curled up in the corner with his laptop as a shield (laughs) As baked beans and you know sausages oh rain down upon him. <laughs> Knife, not even a pillow. No, 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 just a laptop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was, and, it, and there was a lot of that stuff, you know. Right, and I think amazing. he had to, I think he had to pay to redecorate the hotel room afterwards <laughs> the next day. <laughs> it's probably worth it, honestly. Yeah, it sounds like an incredible memory. Yeah, yeah, Iconic. exactly. So we had some great times, and then, and actually, again with Kimmy, we um, he used to take us away at the end of every season. We became friends as well as colleagues. Mm. So. We used to go on holiday together with, uh, again, our mates and his mates became this one group. So we had some amazing moments where, you know, we'd go up to Lapland, for example, and he'd send a private jet over to pick us up. We'd all pile on the jet and it would just be a big party out there. And Mm -hmm. then he'd rent this house with snowmobiles. And I mean, it was just the sort of thing that I'm never going to be able to do those things Mm. in my life, just me. Mm. So to dip into this world of the sort of, 
multi-gazillionaire rock star <laughs> racing driver you know it was a magical experience and i'll never again fully appreciate it never forget it um so there's a lot of that but also you know the other things when we got later in my time and it was a very much a party atmosphere in the early years my early years where there was a lot of money from the tobacco sponsored yeah. era oh, yeah. there was no such thing as a mobile phone and, and <laughs> you know social media so you could kind of get away with a lot and we did and we had a lot, a lot of fun but then towards the end where it got a bit more serious so did formula one and actually i really embraced that so this like like i said this sort of human sports science human mm -hmm. performance science and Lewis came into Formula One at, at exactly that time, really, when we were really at the pioneering forefront of that at McLaren. Mm -hmm. And he, you can imagine, fully embraced that. So I loved delving into the science and the nuance of all of how you can get the best out of everything and everybody mm. with somebody like Lewis, because he was as curious as I was about this. Uh, he had slightly different motivations, of course, from a driver perspective, but it was the same things we were learning. So as he was learning it, I was learning it, yep. and I'd probably been a couple of years ahead of him, so I was able to teach him and help him learn this stuff more, and, and that was a really fascinating process as well. Yeah. Last question. This is another hot take. If McLaren or like another F1 team <laughs> would call you up right now and says, we need you in a leadership role right now <laughs> in the team, would you take it? I mean, I'd ne I never, I get asked this a lot. I'd never say never. I don't, okay. I don't ever want to say no to anything. But, you know, I love what I do now. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and the nice thing about what I do now is I get to work with lots of different people. And I've worked with Formula One teams mm -hmm. in the consultancy role in the past. Mm. Um, so when you're working with one organization, you know, yes, it, it's all focused on them. And I get it. And that's, they're paying you. So, of course, that's of course. what they want. But I love not only helping organizations and people around the world but also learning from them mm. so i go into you know companies that are in any industry they could be in the the music industry or the finance sector or medical pharmaceutical and although there's a world away from formula one i go into them talking about formula one but i come away learning a lot about how they approach yep. it yeah. and i can then bring that back and apply it to, to formula one or anything else mm -hmm. so formula one is quite an enclosed business and because it's elite and it's the very top of its game, there is sometimes I think there's a little bit of an arrogance that no one could possibly do it better than Formula One. And I probably felt that when I was in it as well. But now I've stepped away, I fully appreciate that actually everyone's got something to offer. Yep. And it doesn't have to be your industry. They don't even have to be the best. Yep. They might just have a different take on something or a different thought process. And that can lead you somewhere that can then lead to even great success. So that's what I love. So that's why I'm loving this sort of freelance world where I can go yep. around the world talking to lots of people rather than focusing all of my efforts onto one person or one company. And you have a lot of projects on the go right now, right? Yeah. I mean, TV, you got the book, you know, you have your podcast. It's, it's yeah. incredible to see how you've actually just built a multi-hyphenate career and, and yeah. done that so, and I so love well. That. Yeah. yeah, I love that because it's, it gives me opportunity. I mean, I, I love learning. Mm -hmm. I'm really fascinated. I loved it when I was in Formula One. You know, I'd spend any time I had free at McLaren, I'd be in the R&D department mm. figuring out, you know, learning what they were working on that might be coming down the line for the future, helping them, putting my take on it and my ideas. And I love that. So it's the learning I love. And to be able to do what I do now in all these different things, yep. just working on the game, you know, it, it would have, I'd have done it because it was a dream come true anyway. But I've now got this insight into the gaming world that I had no real idea about other than being an end user. <laughs> yeah. And that's fascinating to me. So all of these things I take something from and I can then go and apply it and, and it may help someone else further down the line. Any verdict? I mean, that Kimmy story was already yeah. purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I've ever heard that. Yeah, that is incredible. Oh, that was epic. Purple again. All yeah, right. Wow. We're through to Q3. Amazing. Let's see if we this can get it. poll. This is the last one. It'd be incredible. Amazing. Yeah. We actually only recently have had 
two poll. I don't know. One person had three polls in a row. Wow. So, okay. Pretty, pretty exciting. We'll be back for the rapid fire round with Mark Priestley. Welcome back to the Track Limits podcast. We're now getting into our final segment, Q3, the rapid fire round. Mark, are you nervous? Be honest. Absolutely, yeah. 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 <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> so we're going to go through a bunch of questions as rapid, as fire as possible. Okay. All right, here we go. First question, if you had to choose one platform to post on forever, which one would it be? Instagram. Okay. Nice. Which one would you delete? Mm. <laughs> uh, Snapchat. Okay, <laughs> cool. Which driver would you trust to drive you around the track blindfolded? None of them. None of them. <laughs> Absolutely none of them. No way. <laughs> not even Kimmy? No. no, no. <laughs> Definitely exactly. not Kimmy. Definitely not Kimmy. <laughs> For audio listeners, I'm about to show you a photo. This is of you and Checo beside the car. Do you remember this? <laughs> what do you think of Checo? What do I think of Checo? <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, what do I think of Checo? I have a lot of time for Checo. Yeah. I think he's a, a great, great guy. Um, He's in a bit of a spot at the moment, isn't he? Because he's up against Max and, and no one yet has really fared very well against Max. So <laughs> I hope he, he doesn't come out of this, you know, tarnished. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd hope. Cool. Cool. You already talked about the greatest driver of all time. It's hard to answer. I'm not going to give you that. Just give me like, who's your favorite driver who you enjoy watching as a fan? Uh, Lewis still, cool. still enjoy Lewis because he's so dedicated and he's had such longevity and that didn't happen by accident. So right. I have total respect for that. Amazing. What technical directive would you institute in 2026 with all the new regulations coming in? Uh, oh, do you know, I would, there's one that I would love to implement and we've had all these restrictions in Formula One, which have over the years, they've often been based around cutting back costs, haven't they? We, we've sort of banned materials or we've banned ideas like active suspension or whatever it is to keep costs down. Well, now we've got a cost cap in mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, do whatever you want right. as long as you don't spend more money than the cost cap. Oh, I yep. like that. And how good yep. would that be? Because it could generate some innovation. You mm -hmm. could come up with ideas and you then choose what you want to spend your money on. I'd yep. love to see that. It's like free game. Yeah. Just yeah. stay under that, that budget. Yeah, 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 I like that one. Love it. Cool. If you were an F1 driver, what team would you pick? Mm. Oh, McLaren. McLaren. Okay. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of what course. would I think? Yeah. 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 <laughs> who would you want as a teammate and who would you not want as a teammate? From the current on, From grid. the current yeah. grid. Yeah. Current grids. Uh, I would... I'd probably want Lewis as a teammate. Nice. I mean, it's a difficult one because as a teammate, typically in real world, teammates, you want someone who's a bit slower than you. Mm, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe on that basis, Lewis is not the perfect pick. But I think I'd learn a lot from him. Of so that's, that's the reason for that. The one I wouldn't want, probably Max, <laughs> because I think he's he's pretty ruthless as a teammate and and it's not just him on the track it's having the team around him and behind him and as i just said as we've seen you're onto a bit of a loser if you're max's teammate oh, typically yeah. aren't you <laughs> what's the most over asked question that you typically get <laughs> who's the greatest f1 driver yeah. of all time yes, but we did ask that didn't <laughs> we now yeah, yeah, yeah. or which is the or the other one is which is uh, the best grand prix to go to oh okay, yeah we don't have that no, yeah, yeah. no. but right. which one is it well yeah. the answer yeah. is always depends how you look at it because you can look at it like which is the best racetrack for racing yep you know things like spa mm -hmm. amazing racetrack or the other way to look at it is what does it give you on a night out after you've been to the race? Ah. And Spa's rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I look at it in both ways, you know, cool, Monaco, cool. Singapore, wonderful yeah. nights out, yep. terrible racetracks. <laughs> Got it. Yep. <laughs> What's one piece of F1 memorabilia you currently own or would love to own? Hmm. Uh, uh, my prized possession. I have a few champagne bottles from, oh, you know, winning champagne bottles, which are amazing. Yeah. Hmm. But I have a, a, a helmet that Kimmy gave me. Hmm. Um, 
And it's amazing because it's Kimmy's helmet, but even more amazing because he had this little inscription put on the back and it's tiny, like you have to really search yeah. for it, but in the back it just says, thanks for everything Elvis. Aww. And that is something special to me, you know? So that's my prized possession, yeah. Beautiful. And tell us about the most embarrassing moment oh, that no. you've had at a Grand Prix weekend. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, well, the, the most embarrassing for me, I touched on it earlier when I had my first opportunity to be a pit lane reporter, right, oh, with yeah. the BBC. And I said to you, they gave me a microphone and a yeah. pack and said, off you go out mm -hmm. into the paddock to just see who you can interview. I walked out of the doors from that office not knowing what I was doing. I barely knew how to work the <laughs> thing. Right? As I opened the door, I'm not kidding, I bumped into, and I mean literally bumped into, Bernie Eccleston. Oh, my God. And he's there in front of me, and I bumped into him. And I had this moment in my mind where I, I could either just run away, yeah. which is what I really wanted to do, or, like, this is an opportunity. Oh, yeah. You know, you never get to speak to him. So I stopped him, put the microphone under his nose, and said, Bernie, have you got a moment? And he said, he said yeah, he answered a couple of questions for me. I was so nervous. It was a terrible interview. I was shaking like a leaf. But after about a minute, his, someone tapped him on the shoulder and sort of dragged him away and off he went into the distance. Yeah. I was like, what? What yeah. just interview Bernie? Yeah. And I was sort of quite pleased with myself, but shaking, you know, so much. And I walked off down the paddock and I got to halfway down and then I got a tap on the shoulder and it's Bernie Eccleston. Oh, and he's come running after me and he said, uh, hey, son, he said, um, I was really sorry. That was really rude of me. He said, oh, I got wow. someone called me away. He said, do you want to come and finish the interview? Uh -huh. And he took me into his motorhome, sat me down at a table <laughs> yeah. and gave me like a five minute interview, which wow. was Legend. no one gets no that. One. Yeah. And, uh, and I went back up to the office at the end of the day and they were like, who'd you get? <laughs> <laughs> Believe or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it still was a terrible interview. Yeah. And, that, and I say embarrassing. It was only embarrassing from my point of view because if I listen back, it's awful. Mm -hmm. But what an amazing moment. And, you know, I took that opportunity, which I'm really proud of got to find that clip now. We need to find yeah. it now. <laughs> I also love that you took an embarrassing moment and made it a legendary <laughs> moment. <laughs> well, any of those things, and I'm, this is the same on anything I look back on from those very early days, whether it's me speaking on stage at mm -hmm. an event or interviewing somebody, I look back on that and think it's terrible. Mm. You know, and, and now I get on stage and I love it. I'm mm. bouncing on stage. It's totally different. But back then I was looking at the floor. I'm really quiet and shy mm. and yeah. terrified, shaking like a leaf. You know, so it was embarrassing for me back in those moments and I wanted, wanted to run away, but just by doing it over and over again, it's the same thing, isn't it? Practice and, and you get better at it, you get more confident and now I love it. For sure. Next up, if you can have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> it, would be it would be to inflict the power of kindness onto people Aww. who are mean on social media. I could just a little power. lightning bolt of yeah. kindness. Can you actually imagine that? Like if on Twitter, how good would you it could be? literally just like react and yeah. just bam. It just <laughs> yeah. changes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate I hate it when people are unkind. Yeah. And you see it on social media so All much. The time. And I've got kids now who are just embarking on their own social media journey. And I yeah. know what they face they will face at some point. Yep. So yeah, if I could just throw a switch and hit them with a lightning bolt of kindness, that'd yep. be great. Amazing. What celebrity <laughs> would be a good fit to play an F one driver in a movie? Um, or a TV show? I would say, I mean, it might be a bit obvious, but someone like Tom Holland. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I think it's got to be, oh, do you know what? Uh, Rihanna. Oh, all right. Badass. Yeah. She's smoking hot. Yeah. She's, uh, she's cool. Yeah. That's what a Formula One driver is, right? Love it. So, Apparently, she loves cricket. 
Really? Somebody was telling me that she came to a Durham cricket game. Oh uh, yeah, like a like a college, like okay. a university cricket <laughs> game. But anyways, I don't know. <laughs> well, why not? You know, yeah. let's get a girl into Formula One. I think it's it's happening. It's going to happen. Yep. So let's get a role model in playing the role in the in fantastic. The movie. I agree. Okay. Wildest prediction for this season. Hmm. Wildest prediction. Yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, the obvious prediction is that I think we know the answer to the obvious prediction. So the wildest one, Fernando Alonso is going to win a race. Yes, lovely. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully we next time. It. Hopefully yeah. next time. Uh, final question was going to be about your autobiography. And we had a bunch of titles, but you've already written one. Yeah. <laughs> what I want to ask you is, you know, Elvis Presley, Mark Elvis Presley. Is there something there? Like, did your parents have a love for Elvis? You know, yeah, like, come on. I mean, I hate to, to shatter the illusion. Elvis is not my real name. It's literally a nickname. A nickname. Oh. And it started when I was about 10 years old at school and some bright spark in my class realized that Priestley sounded a little bit like Presley. I knew it. And because there were like a few marks in the class, yeah. you know, if someone shouted Mark, everyone turns around. So yeah. they gave me the nickname Elvis and it stuck. And it stuck so much I think most people in Formula One in that pit lane don't even know my name's Mark <laughs> because everyone calls even my wife only ever calls me Elvis. Oh. So it's only my mum uh, that's left that doesn't call me Elvis. Anymore. <laughs> she hates it because it's not the name she gave me. Incredible. <laughs> We're going to title this episode Mark Elvis, Elvis. Presley. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. This is it. Or Presley, sorry, Pre Presley. I was about to say Presley. <laughs> Maybe that's even better. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. Yeah. You know, my at pleasure. The very start, we ask our guest in within thirty seconds to share their career and what they're proud of. I mean, tell us about your legacy now. Like, what do you want to be remembered? for what do you want to leave behind within 30 seconds? Um, I mean, I don't really, I don't have a, a real desire to be remembered in a certain way. The only thing I hope, and this is what everything I do now is is kind of centered around, is that I'm helping, because I've learned and had a privileged existence in Formula One and know how lucky I've been to have, to live through, uh, you know, what, what happens in Formula One is you work with the very best people in every part of the industry. Mm. You know, the R&D guy is the best. The, the technicians on the carbon fiber side, they're the best, everyone's the best. And when you're surrounded by the best people all day long, the Adrian Newey's of this world, the mm -hmm. Lewis Hamilton's, you can't help but learn from that. And it's a privilege to be able to learn. So all I hope is that I've been able through what I'm doing now to share some of that privilege with other people that don't have the same opportunity. So I hope that, that I can leave behind a bit of knowledge or, or you know, learning and understanding that other people were never going to get that same opportunity to learn. Maybe that's the legacy. Wow, mic drop. Paul? That is a Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that, that answer is a Paul. <laughs> Paul position. Great job. Thank you again. Really yes. appreciate the My time. My pleasure. I really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. Amazing. If you guys enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a review. Go check our other episodes out on tracklimitspod.com, and we will see you all in the next episode.